Welcome in lacrosse fans to the ninth episode of the Utah Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam, the current sports information director for the Utah men's lacrosse team. Today's show features Atlanta Blaze LSM Scott Ratliff. In 2017, Scott played for the, in his third consecutive MLL All-Star game and upped his career goals from 47 to 62. As a co-captain, Ratliff led the defense with 68 ground balls and began redefining the role an LSM plays by becoming a part of the offense. Ratliff graduated from Loyola University in Maryland. In his 58 games at Loyola, Scott recorded 30 goals, 14 assists, 88 caused turnovers, and 217 ground balls. Scott was a Twarton nominee, All-American, and 2012 D1 national champion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome in, uh, Scott. How are you? Doing well, man. Happy to be here. Good. What uh, you know? Thanks for thanks for being on the podcast. Kind of short notice. I appreciate that. Yep. Um, what uh, what brings you to Utah? Um, you know, I'm I'm a high school coach back in Atlanta, and um, we have spring break this week, and all my guys are at the beach or doing something fun. So I figured uh, maybe a good time for me to book a little trip. And you know, I love coming out and seeing uh, obviously good friends with with Coach Gittleman and Manny and Holman and. Um, you know, it's great for me to come out and be around, you know, Coach Brian Holman as well and learn and, sure. and obviously have some fun at the same time. Awesome. I'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more, more about your coaching stuff and then a little bit later. But uh, as with every podcast, we start by talking about this current Utah team. You're at the Utah State game the other night. What, uh, what uh, kind of have you seen from this team? I know, I know you're a big fan of the live broadcast too, but what, what's uh, one of your favorite things about this team, this current team? Oh, I mean, just watching the, the physicality and the conditioning level of them, um, you know, getting to see them last year and, and then even early in the fall this year compared to, to seeing them this week, it's um, it's really incredible how far they've come just in terms of their, their fitness and their speed and the pace at which they play the game. And so um, it was just a pleasure to, to watch. Sure. Uh, you mentioned coming out last fall, you were part of the kind of the tryout process, kind of in that, that we're kind of in no man's land right now, you know, having announced Division One but not quite there yet. And so the opportunity to bring you and, and Tom Schreiber in. What what went into that? What was that process like? And then ultimately, you know, uh, what did you get from it? Yeah, well, again, I think for, for what I took from it was just a learning experience. I mean, seeing the way that, that this coaching staff pushes these guys and, and the um, the demands that they place on them um, was really incredible. And, and, and that week and that trout experience was really – um, you know, it was about seeing who was prepared for that and who was going to be a great teammate, who was going to be unselfish, and really just who was mentally tough enough as well as physically tough enough to take it. So, um, you know, kind of watching that experience and, as you mentioned, kind of this transition time period and even some of these guys having been around before this coaching staff and before it was a Division One program, um, it was just – it was really exciting to see the guys get challenged like that and then, you know, even more so to see the way they responded and, and again, going to how they responded to this point. Sure. Um, you know, uh, we, we brought you on the live broadcast uh, last night and you talked a, a lot about the coaching staff and the things that they're doing. Um, what, what stands out specifically maybe about uh, Coach Holman? We'll start there. You know, I think he, he reminds me a lot of, of, you know, who I played for in college, which was Coach Charlie Toomey, in that um, as great of a lacrosse mind and a lacrosse coach he is, what stands out about him when you watch him coach and you listen to him is how much he invests into the whole person and to, to really, you know, preparing these guys for – things beyond lacrosse and I think that when you have a head coach that does that and that invests into the kids and the relationships the way that he does and, and you know the way that coach Toomey did for me um, you know it makes a huge impact way beyond just what you're what you're doing that season and even those four years so that's that's what I take away from coach Holman he's got these great lacrosse players around him and he lets them do their job and he really focuses on setting a culture and, and a tone of the program and it's it's really impressive. Absolutely one of, one of the things that uh, Gus said in his podcast Podcast was one thing he loves about Coach Holman is he's never told the same story twice. Like he always has a unique story, and that's one of the things that that I personally love about him. Uh, you always get something new. You always get some fresh perspective that's right on point. Yep. I mean, I think it's something that you know the best coaches all have in common is they're great storytellers. And when you've been doing it as long as as he has, um, he's definitely full of them. And getting to spend time with him off the field, <laughs> which I know you have as well, um, he's got you know just as many. Um, he'll, oh, yeah. he'll tell you off the field as he does is, is in the locker room. So he's a pretty special guy to be around. Absolutely. He sent out an article to the, to the staff, um, geez, probably two weeks ago now. And, uh, you know, it was about gratitude, but then he, he added a little tidbit, um, 
for those of you with young kids, this is a great article as well. And, and I'm the only one with young kids, so right. clearly that was pointed at me. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I really appreciate it. I shared it with my wife that night. We, we loved it. Um, what, uh, in, anything else you want to talk about uh, on this current team? Maybe some of the current players. You know, we, On the broadcast, we mentioned Chris Belcher, but who else have you kind of loved watching play? Well, the combination of Belcher and, and Nealman. Mm-hmm. Um, being, you know, being around Seth, um, watching him on the sideline last night, they get out to this big lead, and a lot of guys are getting in the game. He was as engaged on the sideline as anybody on the team, mm-hmm. and maybe the most. And so I was just really, really impressed with his leadership. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that – you know, is, is a fantastic LSM right off the bat. He, he goes down, he plays close to, he plays LSM. You don't see a hint of complaint out of him. Um, so his leadership really stood out to me last night. And, and watching him and Belcher together, obviously being a, a long stick midi and a long pull myself, I, I like to watch that side of the field. You know, they're, they're two guys who, you know, could play anywhere in, in my mind. I mean, I think that, you know, they're as talented as anybody in the country at that position, and they both have the work ethic and kind of the intangible things to go along with it. So, you know, watching them, I, it's like I go into the huddle and I feel small for, for starters, <laughs> yeah. and, and um, it's just like it's really, really fun to watch. And the, the way they both play offense and the way that the staff encourages that and puts them into sure. situations to take advantage of that skill set is obviously something that I'm a really big fan of. Yeah, Belcher had a huge uh, righty rip off that wing last night. <laughs> I mean, that, it was the, in my opinion, it was the nicest goal of the game. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. think I've ever been able to shoot like that. So yeah. it's it's crazy to watch. You might be biased because you're an LSM, right? I think but so. Okay. I think so. He, he likes to use the same stick as me too. So, yep. I, you know, that, that always makes me happy. But, you know, then I talked to him after the game and, he's yeah you know I've never I used to just kind of play with what whatever whatever anybody gave me and right. it's just like it's so casual to him yeah, um, and I, sure. I think he doesn't even realize uh, I think both of those guys but but Belcher in particular doesn't even realize how good he is yet and sure. you know when he does I think he's he's gonna be scary yeah they are they are great uh, you know people off the field as well you know great examples for this team uh, we, we talked a little bit before the podcast you had the opportunity to coach Bo Powell, John Rose, and, and Jeremy Sarton? Yeah, yeah, Bo Powell and John Rose. Um, I coach a varsity team, Greater Atlanta Christian School. Um, they played for me at my high school, and then Jeremy Sarton uh, in, like, club lacrosse in Atlanta okay. with, with LB3 lacrosse. So what is it like seeing sort of their progression so far? You know, they've been in the program since the fall. What have you seen? How, how have you seen them grow? Oh, I mean, just, you know, they've, they've – they're growing up. I mean, you, you, I just actually went and had lunch with them and just listening to them, you know, first and foremost, talk about the experience they've had here. Um, you know, we kind of talked about how a lot of guys in Atlanta, um, you know, and I went through the same thing. They go to UGA, they go sure. to Alabama, and, and sure. for them to kind of be the guys that are going to do something different and all the new relationships they've made, they talked about all the different places they've gotten to go. So, you know, that's the, the biggest, you know, change I see, and, yeah. and I'm so happy they're getting to experience that because I had a, a similar experience. And then on the field, I mean, again, the same thing I'd say about the whole team. You know, they're just being pushed at a level they've never been pushed before, and they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, um, they're far more resilient. You know, they both told a story about – um, having to prepare for a class presentation and seeing their classmates freak out and them just being, you know, like I'm more <laughs> I'm more afraid to miss a first time ground ball in yeah. front of Coach Holman than I am to <laughs> speak in front of my business class. So, um, you know, I'm I'm I love those guys and they're two of my favorite players I've ever coached. You know, Bo and Johnny and and, and say the same about Jeremy. Um, and it's just really cool. You know, as much of the on field stuff is great to watch. I knew what they would do with that. Yeah. It's really cool to see the way they've handled coming so far from home, transitioning to such a challenging, you know, lifestyle and just taking it in stride. Sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting when, when I first saw, uh, John Rose without his helmet, he looks like my dad yeah. did at that age. My dad's a redhead. And so it's kind of eerie, but, uh, you know, so I kind of, <laughs> I kind of have a special eye for him, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. And anything else you want to talk about the, this current team? You know, I, I Again, I think the the dynamic with the current team is just it's so like you watch a game last night and the amount of guys that are cycling off the bench and onto the field and it it looks the same and I, I I've, you know I've we've said it over and over but I think it speaks to the coaching staff how well prepared these guys are how hard they've worked and and their challenge going forward is going to be you know can they continue to to play great and bring it every single game. And, you know, something that happens when you when you win a lot, and, and I certainly haven't been through very many seasons where we've won like they are, but I have been lucky enough to be a part of one team is, you know, it's hard not to have that letdown game. And in 2012 at Loyola, um, you know, we were undefeated number one in the country, and our first loss was the last game of the season against Johns Hopkins. And, um, you know, it was a team that, frankly, we were probably better than, but it was just you, you – sometimes you can develop bad habits when, you, when you're winning, and especially when you're winning by large margins. So, you know, they've got some games in front of them, you know, down the stretch in the season that's going to prepare them for the playoffs and to, to try to make a run at it. And I'm just going to – it's going to be a challenge for them to keep that level of focus and keep playing hard. So I'm excited to, A, you know, hopefully help encourage them to do that and, and 
and you know they certainly don't need my help but, but b just watch and see how they handle it because a lot of freshmen a lot of sophomores out on that team and so for, for them to have the maturity level to show up every game you know do their job play very well and win um, that would be you know really a incredible feat if they can if they can pull it off yep like you mentioned uh, lots of lots of uh, trying games coming up uh uvu tomorrow uh, by the time this is out that game probably will have already happened but uh then uh, at Colorado State, and then at Colorado, and then hosting BYU on the 19th, and then the RMLC playoffs, and then the MCLA tournament. So yep. lots of big games ahead. Definitely. Definitely time to, to prove um, what, the, what the team has. Let's, uh, let's transition into sort of the, the, general, the general section of this podcast. Tell us, uh, tell us your origin story. Where are you from? When did you start playing lacrosse? All that, all that good stuff. Sure, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm from – well, I was born in uh, – in Dana Point, California, Orange okay. County. Yeah. Um, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia when I was four or five years old. So that's, okay. that's home and that's where I grew up. Um, I, you know, I've, I've played lacrosse my whole life. My dad uh, played at the University of Maryland in the 70s. Um, so it was one of those things. I had a lacrosse stick when I was two in California. Yeah. Um, I played organized for the first time in Atlanta in about fourth grade. And, uh, you know, knowing, I, I guess I didn't know this then, but looking back, you know, my dad went and kind of vetted the, um, basically three lacrosse leagues that existed in the metro Atlanta area. And um, each league would have about four teams, basically, that played in it. So there wasn't a whole lot of it. Um, but he, he ended up, you know, going to one, thought the, the coaching looked really good and the skill level kind of looked high. And so he stuck me in that one. I used to drive 20 or 30 minutes to go play in, in this league. And, yeah. you know, played rec league. And he always coached my teams kind of all through youth. So, you know, I definitely wasn't introduced to it in a um, – you know, in a typical way, being from a hotbed area where tons of kids are playing and the skill level is really high. But right. um, having him, you know, I always had somebody to play with in my yard and, and I was obsessed with the sport, you know, right away. So that was kind of how I got introduced to it. And, and as I got older and got into high school, some other really strong coaches came into my life that had, you know, played at a high level and been, been down in Georgia. And uh, my dad was able to kind of step back as, from being a coach and more towards being a dad when I got into high school. Um, but it's, it's kind of just always been what I knew I wanted to do. You know, I played every sport. Um, I really loved basketball. You know, I played football, cross country, track, you know, tennis, all, all that stuff. But um, I always knew, you know, I was a lacrosse player. And that was kind of the, the sport that I wanted to do long term. And, and I stayed focused on that. And it, you know, wasn't always the easiest path. But, um, you know, I never, never wavered from it. And, and obviously, it worked out for me. Sure. So, so a couple questions uh, coming off of that. Where did your dad pick up the sport? So yeah, that's this is actually a much more interesting story. Um, he grew up in Georgia, okay. and uh, he moved up to Baltimore, Maryland, when he was in um, ninth grade. So he had never you know heard of mm -hmm. it at that point. And he played catcher in baseball, and he played football. And so he you know the way he tells it, he was playing catcher, and he could see a lacrosse game going on in the outfield behind the fence. And you know he just thought to himself, man, that looks a lot more fun than this. And sure. uh, so he you know he quit baseball, he went and picked up lacrosse, and played it through high school and he was a, a really good football player and he got a uh, an offer to go play football at the University of Maryland and so he committed signed to do that had to go in you know graduated high school from Hereford High School outside of Baltimore okay. had to go into Maryland for summer football and while he was there doing his summer workouts he played in like a men's lacrosse league and the head lacrosse coach was a guy named Buddy Beardmore um, mm -hmm. saw him play in the um, in that men's league or and, and maybe had seen him in high school or knew of him had a spot open up on the lacrosse team and went to him and said, hey, if you'd like to play both, you know, we have a scholarship spot for lacrosse as well. So he went to the uh, football coach and asked if he could play both. The football coach said no. And so he quit football and decided to play lacrosse instead. And, uh, you know, he talked about, um, you know, both teams being really good. And he just felt like um, lacrosse practice, you know, he said it when, when I would play football, I loved games, but practice was kind of a grind sure. when he said every time I played lacrosse, I had fun. Um, so that was kind of the, the biggest determining factor for why he made that switch. And, um, so, you know, obviously that love of the sport like yeah. that got passed down to me. That's a great point. Uh, you know, you, you, you have fun playing any sport during the game, but you know, are you having fun in practice? And that was like the, you know, when I was young, I can remember there were days where I'd really didn't want to go to football practice or really didn't want to – I used to run cross-country, and that, yeah, I never sure. wanted to go to cross-country <laughs> practice. Um, but that was – you know, I could really relate. He would tell yeah. me that story when I was a kid, and I could completely relate. I mean, there was – it didn't matter what was wrong with me. I was going to find a way to, to go sure. to lacrosse practice. And yeah. I think that's, that's – uh, you hear that a lot from, from people who play the sport. Yeah, interesting. Interesting point. I love it. Great yeah. insight. Um, so, so you're, you're going through high school in Georgia. Um, you're playing all these sports – you've always wanted to play lacrosse what kind of talk about your recruitment process you know sure and how did you eventually end up at Loyola yeah so you know I um I think I looking back on it now I think I was probably a little naive 
to the whole thing. You know, it wasn't, it was a different era then, and the early recruiting was probably happening, but I definitely wasn't aware of it. Sure. So college across, like, you know, I, I'm going to play at University of Maryland was what I said from the time I was six years old and was probably still saying it my sophomore mm -hmm. year. Now, sure. probably had no business saying it my sophomore year. I played <laughs> short stick midi. You know, I wasn't the best player on my team in Georgia, much mm -hmm. less one of the better players in the country. Um, but I just didn't, I figured, you know, by my junior, my senior year was when that would, would happen sure. for me. Um, so I kind of just kept the faith with it and didn't really make an effort to get recruited until, um, you know, summer going into my junior year um, was the first time I picked up a long pole. And that was the first time we kind of signed me up for a couple camps. I remember going to like top 205, which was a big mm -hmm. one at University of Maryland. Um, obviously, my dad having played at yeah. Maryland in that era, um, there's still a lot of people, teammates of his that are really involved in the sport. Um, so he had a lot of connections and, and I knew that and that would that would help me. Um, so I started kind of, you know, going into some of these summer tournaments and quickly realized that I was much, you know, I had a much better shot at it playing long pole. And that was something my dad kind of picked out and, you know, recognized in me and encouraged me to switch. So that was a summer where it started getting real, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I went into my junior high school season and, um, you know, I had a really good season. And, and again, in my mind felt like, yeah, this is for sure going to happen for me. Sure. Um, but still had not, you know, had any conversations with colleges or anything like that. Um, so summer after my junior year, um, was one of the first time I, you know, started taking trips. And I, I never went on an official visit anywhere. Basically, my dad, my two high school coaches, a guy named Tim Pritz, who played at uh, Rutgers in the 90s, um, and a guy named John Holthouse, who played at Loyola. Um, and then I had one club coach, a guy named Rich Wayman, who played at Navy. Okay. And it's relevant because the uh, four schools that I ended up getting any interest from were yeah. basically those four schools. You know, okay. I had to kind of rely on their personal relationships. Sure. Um, and I was really, really lucky that they all kind of really went to bat for me. Um, so I went up and played in some events and I got to play in front of these coaches and I was very, very much focused on Maryland being where I wanted to go. And mm -hmm. until they told me no, you know, I was, was really not even going to consider others. Mm -hmm. um, had a chance to play in front of Coach Cottle and, and their coaches and, and they were great and they were, um, you know, super respectful and, and certainly like gave me a look and, and, you know, talked to my dad about it. But at the end of the day, they kind of gave him the assessment that he's, you know, he's he's a good player, probably better fit at a mid-major, you know, we're not going to, sure. we're not going to go there. So at that point, we basically, any coach that would meet with me, you know, we hit the road. I remember we, you know, put down the back seat to my dad's van, made a little bed and just stayed up in the Northeast for like three weeks that summer going into my, my senior year of high school and went and got in front of as many coaches as we could. Coach Toomey at Loyola was one of those. Um, coach Richie Mead at Navy yeah. um, was another one. And um, the only offer that I ended up getting was uh, an offer to go to Naps, to go to the Naval Prep School and then into Navy. And, um, you know, my, my club coach from Atlanta, Rich Wayman, who had played at Navy, was very close with Coach Mead, and he was, you know, really help, able to, to help make that opportunity happen for me. Um, so I committed there, and I kind of continued to stay in touch with Coach Toomey at Loyola, who had also, you know, showed some interest, but, what you know, never extended an offer. Um, went Started playing my spring senior season. Again, I'm, at this point, I'm – you know, covered in Navy gear and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's what <laughs> sure. I'm doing. And uh, it was spring break my senior year of high school. Um, I was driving back from the beach down in, in Seaside, Florida, and um, I got a call from Coach Toomey. I had an eight-hour drive. I was by myself. I was coming back early to uh, to play lacrosse. And, um, you know, he said, hey, we, have, we had a spot open up late. It's yours if you want it. I know you're committed to, to go to NAP. So, you know, before you even really answer me, I'd, you know, talk to your parents, think about it. You know, talk to Coach Mead, let him know that you're thinking about it if you are, was kind of the advice he sure. gave me. And so I hung up from that call, and, you know, honestly, in my head right away, I knew that's what I was going to do. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, the, the biggest part of it was the prep school. Um, being from Georgia, that wasn't nearly as common as it was in the Northeast, and I just wasn't really, you know, I felt like I was ready to go play in college next year, and I wanted to do that. And this was the first opportunity that, that I was going to have to do that. So, um, not many kids from Atlanta, including me, have heard of Loyola um, or sure. anything like that. But obviously, <laughs> I, I loved my coach who had played there. And, um, you know, he kind of told me, hey, I think you'll like it. And so I, uh, you know, I called Coach Mead. I took my time, talked with my parents, obviously, and then came to the decision that that's where I'd go. And, and obviously showed up. And first game of my career, played against Navy and won in <laughs> overtime. So it was, it was pretty cool. Come Very full cool. Circle. Uh, so, so all during that time, you're you're positioning yourself as an LSM, or did, were you positioning close to you? I, uh, I was positioning myself as an LSM, okay. but 
as much as I can, I, I was trying to show them that I could do it anything. Sure. You know, in my senior year of high school, I actually went back to playing short pole just based on need of the high school team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was playing close D my junior year. I mean, I never really played LSM in high school, but again, I was surrounded by really good coaches sure. and, and a smart dad who all could look at my game and say, you're going to be an LSM, but <laughs> you know, the skill level of high school across in Georgia is not as high. So right. if you have a kid on your team that can catch and throw, he's, you know, he's going to help you on offense probably more than he can on defense. So sure. that was, that was kind of why, why we did that. Uh, talk about playing at Loyola. You know, you mentioned your first game was against Navy, but talk about, you know, your four years there, maybe some of the memories that you have from, from your time there. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a really amazing experience. I mean, you, you, you know, there's not many coaches in, in the world in any sport where every player that I've ever met that plays for them has nothing but good things to say. And sure. and that's, you know, I think the case with, with Coach Toomey and with Coach Dwan, who, um, you know, I also got to play for Coach Shamati, who means a, a lot to me as the head coach at Richmond now. Um, but Toomey and Dwan were there all four years and are still there um, and both alumni of the school. And so, you know, they were just uh, – you know, they had, a, they had a huge impact on me growing up as a person, and, and Loyola did as well. You know, the yeah. lacrosse thing um, obviously went really well, and we were lucky enough to win a championship, which is, you know, one of the best experiences of my life. But when I think back to Loyola, you know, it's definitely the relationships with the teammates, just the growth I was able to have as a person um, at that school, and, and the support system that they put around you to do that was, um, I mean, it was as good as it gets, I think. Sure. Um, talk, talk about, uh, you know, your championship year and kind of, you know, at what point did you say, man, we have a, a legitimate shot to win the championship? You know, we uh, we talked about this a lot, the guys that I played with, and, and we when, when I was a freshman at Loyola, we all kind of looked at each other and said, you know, junior year, you know, by junior year we're gonna you know we're gonna have a chance, and uh, we we actually were really good my freshman year. We ended up losing in the first round of the tournament in triple overtime to Cornell. They and they went on to the final four. Yeah. There was an upset in the second round. Army beat Syracuse, so it was would have been a you know realistic right. path to the final four. So we were probably closer than I realized that year. Um, but we had a lot of freshmen on that team who were kind of breaking into the roster, getting meaningful minutes. Um, three or four of us, you know, had our first start actually in that playoff game at Cornell. So we were really kind of starting to come into our own. Um, we came back sophomore year, and a lot of the talent outside of the freshman class the previous year was in the senior class, and we really struggled my sophomore year. And, um, you know, of course we had you know some good leaders on that team, but a lot of the leadership or the to-be leadership were, were – in the junior class and a lot in the sophomore class, and we just weren't quite ready, I think. Sure. Um, so one of the one of the more down years Loyola's ever had. I mean, we we finished with a winning record, but a game or two over 500. Um, you know, didn't make the conference tournament, didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, had a couple really bad losses. So um, for the first time, I think in a long time in the program, we came into the 2012 season outside of the top 20. Um, but we looked around going into that season and kind of again said, well. If you look at last year, even though we weren't winning a whole lot, a lot of our best players were sophomores. Sure. And so, you know, that that's a big grow-up year um, when you go from being an underclassman to an upperclassman. I think we all came in kind of ready to take ownership of the team and make sure that wasn't going to happen again. Um, and then on top of that, we had two transfers. A kid named Sean O'Sullivan came in from Army. Um, a kid named Chris Lane, who he was in the year before but couldn't play, um, uh-huh. was now going to be eligible, who was at UNC previously. So we already had this kind of really talented class, um, and now we just added two more guys to it. So our junior class that year had almost 15 guys wow. um, and ended up having f- six All-Americans in it. Yeah. Um, so we knew at the beginning of the season we were going to be special, and I think what what really made us a championship team was was the senior class. You know, We only had five or six seniors, but they were all leaders. They all set great examples. Um, you know, we probably had some maybe maybe a little more wild personalities in the junior <laughs> class, and, and, you know, we were the, – the tone was really set by the seniors from the sure. beginning of the year. So it was a really special mix in that way. Um, and, you know, we, we won both of our fall scrimmages by a lot of goals. We came into the spring. We beat UNC. We beat Maryland in our two spring scrimmages. So, again, we're kind of looking at each other at that point like, you know, we have a chance for, for something special here. Cool. Um, <clears throat> do, would, would you consider that your, your greatest lacrosse accomplishment? to date the championship that's a good question um i think when you phrase it like that probably <laughs> not you know you my greatest lacrosse accomplishment um wow that's you know it, i guess in, in as far as an accomplishment um on the lacrosse field yes sure. you know definitely yeah. definitely is and that was something that 
um, you know, it still gives me chills to think about. You dream about, and it's and it's so few people get to do it. You know, my dad, who I talked about, lost in the national championship game twice, wow. um, once in overtime. So, you know, I, I, I know how hard it is to do, and I don't take it for granted at all. Um, but when I think about the scope of everything that I've gotten to do and have and, mm-hmm. and still do because of lacrosse, um, you know, it's just it's almost like just another one of the incredible things that the sports brought me. I mean, I look at the relationships and just the general path my life has taken from this sport. Um, you know, I think I like to think my, my biggest accomplishments may be still ahead of me. There you go. Love <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, when, when did you meet Coach Gittleman? Uh, you know, you two have a special bond. Obviously, you're on the blaze together, but you know, I, I have a feeling if you weren't, on the blaze, you'd still have that special yep. bond. But when did you first meet him? When did, how did you guys kind of become friends? Um, so the first time I met him was I was right out of college, and I was at Team USA tryouts, okay. and they had a big, like kind of open, not open tryout, but a first invite tryout weekend. They had about a hundred of us there, and they split us up into four or five teams, and we just played a bunch of games. And the goalies rotated around teams, but I played one game with him and I actually remember you know going up to him after the game and just something about him um the energy he played with you know the stuff he did outside of the cage just his voice um I just had really good chemistry with him and I just told him that and you know loved playing with you hope hope we can do it again sometime and that was kind of the end of it and fast forward a couple years almost three um he gets traded to Boston he was coaching at Harvard at the time I was playing on the Cannons um he gets traded and he's actually our backup goalie we had a guy Jordan Burke who had Mm -hmm. been around a long time was really successful so when he when that trade happened again I reached back out to him kind of reminded him of of uh that weekend with USA and just told him I was excited to have him around and and that was the start of it and then we you know we ended up having a really special season in Boston that year um coach Manny was on that team as well so you know the three of us over the course of that season really grew close and um, what it was about about Adam in particular that season was he was probably the best teammate I've ever had as a backup goalie. And he came in in some really big games down the line and played some really important minutes. But to see the way that he had been an all-star, had started in Charlotte for multiple years, I mean, he's a legend, won the championship of Virginia. And to see the way he came in and just took on that role and and just supported us, I mean, he was talking trash from the sideline all games. I mean, I think he was responsible for penalties on the <laughs> other team for turning around and responding to him. Sure. So um, that's really what, like, blew me away about him was the type of teammate he was. And uh, – you know, I knew that was somebody I'd want to play with as long as I could and put myself around. Yeah, so then did you meet Coach Manny at, at, uh, at Boston? So Will and I actually go back before that. We okay. um, we met at Vail the, the summer after uh, we won the championship. I yeah. went out to Vail and played on a team with several of my teammates, and Will was on that team. And, and same with Adam. Uh, our relationship started really with, like, chemistry on the field. We played together and, were, like, enjoyed it and just had uh, – you know, we worked together really well and kind of noticed that, so we started hanging out and obviously got along and then – um, we both got drafted to the Cannons, and so we had kind of been in touch loosely sure. since Vail, but then after that happened, we obviously reconnected, and, um, you know, Will and I went through really similar paths where we, you know, we played every game, and we were, you know, but we were, the team we were on in Boston our first two seasons was really a veteran team, and we, we were role players, mm-hmm. um, and then this third season, the season that Adam joined us, a lot of the veterans retired, we made a couple big trades, and it kind of became our team, so him and I really kind of grew up together, I think, as professional lacrosse players, and, and that's probably why again we're still so close sure and then what about marcus when was the first time you met him so he was uh, a little later i kind of met him through these guys okay. so obviously again somebody i've watched and, and yeah. knew of um was aware of and, and admired um in the sport and then i got to know him you know he was close with will and adam and just kind of once you get into year two year three you know a lot of guys play that first year but it starts to sure. just whittle out on terms yeah. of who's still doing it professionally and obviously who's having success and um, so, you know, we started different Hawaii lacrosse tournament and, mm-hmm. and just different things where we started getting to spend time around each other. And then it really kind of came to a T. You know, we all took a trip together at the end of last season. Um, and that's probably where Marcus and I really started to, to um, get a closer relationship. And, and it's just the same with, with Will and Adam and him. And there's so much you admire about him. Um, the reason I'm out here, I mean, the reason I love spending around, time around those guys is because they challenge you and they make you better. Um, and I learn from them, you know, and they're all so different. Um, so it's really cool to kind of see the the dynamic between all them, and I like to think I fit in there somehow. <laughs> Absolutely, <somewhere. laughs> we need an LSM on the on the staff. Well, right? I told Adam I think that one is the lowest goal total of the season, and it was the first game I was here. So I'm not saying there's a correlation, but I'm not not saying there's there a correlation. There you go. I love it. Uh, and then when was the first time you met Coach Coach Brian Holman? Um, the first time I met him, you know, you know, we met briefly on the sideline of some recruiting events and things okay. like that. But the first time I really got to know him was was when I came out here in the fall. Yeah. Um, just getting to go out to dinner with them and spend time around him, you know, at practice, coaching, picking his brain, and then I've been able to keep in touch with him since then um so you know it's it's 
it was seamless. It's one of those things when you're so close with his son, sure. uh, you know, his daughter, Sydney, I'm friends with, um, his other son, Matt, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, you know, respect and admire all them so yeah. much. So, you know, you knew what you're going to get from him, but then it's, as we've already mentioned, it's, it's, um, just always a, a real treat when you get to spend time around them. And, and again, that's why I'm here to, sure. to get to surround myself with, with people like that and to learn from them and, and see how they do things. Uh, Sydney's living in Atlanta, is she not? She is. Okay. Yep. You're watching yep. out for her out there. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's got a big uh, big tight end boyfriend who does that for her. But uh, um, it is cool that she's there. Marcus came and visited both of us. We watched yeah. the uh, the Georgia Alabama national championship game, which was really cool in in Atlanta to to get yeah. to see that. So um, you know, it's it's it feels very much like a big a big family with with the Holmans and Adam and Will and and myself. Absolutely, I I feel the same way. You know, I I've lived here my whole life, and when they came in, I I felt like I I was part of the family. For from day one and yep. they just have that that feeling for you and that and that's how the players feel absolutely know, when they're uh, when they're playing for them uh talk about uh sort of what happened after college you know obviously you're you're playing in the mll played in the mll but kind of what other paths have you taken that ultimately have, have loved you led you to coaching uh, at the high school level yeah so so i've had um you know, I've, I've tried a lot of different things. You know, when I first graduated Loyola, I went right into a, a job in banking. I moved straight from Baltimore to Manhattan, dove right into an internship. Yeah. I didn't have a week off really after finals. And so I did that for, you know, about a year and a half. I'm playing on the cannons and living in New York City. Um, and I loved, you know, I loved a lot of the experience sure. and, um, you know, the opportunity to be in that industry. You know, I think if it's, if I wasn't playing lacrosse, I probably would have stuck it out. Um, but I just, you know, I, I recognized that, here I'm, you know, it's very hard to get in the gym and work out. I'm leaving work so I can go train. Right. You know, I'm, I'm worse at my banking job because of lacrosse, and I'm a worse player because I'm doing this. Sure. And that was really hard for me to swallow. And um, I just wasn't ready to give it up. And I like this. The way I tell the story is my parents always, you know, used to tell me to find something you love. Yeah. And I think my dad, for a little while, regretted that he always told me <laughs> that when I when I told him I wanted to sure. leave banking to coach club lacrosse. But yeah. uh, um, you know, I just kept sitting in the office thinking about that. And, and I also just, the, the playing piece of it was yeah. the biggest motivator. I felt like I had what it takes to be one of the best. And it was really hard for me to watch myself not perform at the level I knew I was capable of. Um, and I just didn't think living there in that lifestyle, I was going to be able to do it. So about a year and a half, uh, walked away from that job. And, and I, so I started looking, okay, uh, again, I mentioned my dad and mm-hmm. my parents were, you know, you're out of college, your bills are yours, you know, it's time to get sure. a job, that that sort of thing. So I know I couldn't just kind of not have a game plan. Yeah. So I started looking around and knew it would make sense to go home to Atlanta being, you know, the only professional player from there. Um, and there was this club lacrosse program called LB3, and it, it didn't exist when I was there. Um, I didn't know Liam Banks, the, the guy who ran it at all, but I did recognize I'd seen that he had brought down Joel White and Tom yeah. Palasek and some Syracuse players to, like, f- full-time work there. So I said, well, okay, maybe this is an opportunity for me to – get a salary essentially sure. coaching club lacrosse yeah um so i did that you know, i had a lot of conversations with him over the phone before i left my job in new york kind of made sure it was going to be the right situation for me and then i took it and, and i moved home that was kind of right at the start of my my the end of the, my second season start of my third season um and you know the, the what liam was doing in atlanta was amazing you know he was kind of putting these first club lacrosse teams together that were going to compete at the highest level that were going to help kids to get recruited yeah. um he was an unbelievable coach he was a great entrepreneur you know I, I a lot of people had this kind of notion about club lacrosse being for profit and things sure. like that but you know the way i saw it was that was going to allow me to come down and, and commit myself full-time to helping yeah. kids and and i really respected that and, and i think you know he was doing it the right way um so he gave me that opportunity i, I worked for him for uh, about three years full time um, in a number of different roles. At a certain point, he ended up becoming president of the Blaze, and I took over as president of the Lacrosse Club, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I was doing. And I think that that kind of led me to where I am now. And, and part of that was I, I got the gig coaching out of high school. Obviously, in the spring, um, you're yeah. not doing club lacrosse; the kids are in season. So I, I got I'm at a great school and, and a place I really really love. Um, but as time went, I kind of felt like. You know, maybe club lacrosse wasn't going to be the end-all, be-all. And I think some of the skill sets I learned, I really recognized, um, you know, my desire to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and that was something that, that, you know, LB3 and that Liam particularly kind of stoked and, and sure. taught me a lot about. Um, at, at this same time, my, my mom actually was 
Um, she had been in human resources and, and worked in um, corporate space for her whole career. She was retiring from that and starting a company in leadership development. And it was something that she's been, again, doing her whole career and, and doing it kind of in the corporate world. And um, it's something I've always had interest in in the athletic world sure. um, and, and how the two could interact and how the two cross. So um, about two years ago, you know, I talked to Liam and kind of told him, I, you know, I want to stay involved and I want to continue to be a, a big part of this thing. But, you know, I'd like to try to, you know, move yeah. towards this industry and towards working with my mom and um, now you know for about a year I've been doing that full-time and you know still coaching the club stuff on weekends at night and, and um, you know doing lessons with the kids and I actually kind of been able to intertwine some of the leadership development and put together programs for high school kids where we run them through the club program and, and um, you know I, when I coached all these kids in club lacrosse and and with the high school and you see so many going to college and you try to figure out how do you tell who's going to be successful and who's not? And, you know, I think so often there's so many talented ones. It comes down to who's prepared to handle the change and all the adversity sure. that you're going to go through when you, when you leave. And so yeah. I felt like uh, maybe I could have a bigger impact teaching that than I could um, teaching stick skills. So, you know, I've been kind of transitioning into that role and, and kind of doing that full time, of course, on, on top of playing and coaching high sure. school and <laughs> the camps and clinics occasionally as well. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, they all work together. And so it, it's really been a, a cool journey for me. And uh, I'm really happy with where it's led me and excited about, you know, where it's going. Awesome. That's, a, that's, that's incredible. You know, I think you're right. A lot of kids, a lot of kids get to these campuses and it's, it's life, you know, it's shocking to them. And we we call it boomeranging. They boomerang back to Utah and end up playing just locally yep. after they've yep. they've gone back east or wherever. So and when I tell you know I, I look at it and I talk to parents about this, I think the the greatest gift that you know playing youth sports in general gives you is it teaches you how to fail. And sure. you know in life it's it's so much about how you can overcome adversity. You know how do you deal with it when things don't go your way? And um, you know I've been lucky enough to have a really successful lacrosse career, and I lose way more than I win, sure. you know, and that's just sports. That's the nature of sports. So if you can kind of use sports to teach these kids that those skill sets, how you can overcome adversity, how you can rapidly rebound, how you can deal with failure, you know, through sports, then when their career ends and you're not playing anymore, which happens to everybody, even if you're a professional, you're going to be prepared to take on whatever's next. And again, yeah. that's, I mean, the bigger picture for me, that's what I really like teaching and and i think sports is a really cool way to do that and an interesting part about it and working with my mom is she has all this experience in the corporate space and in executive coaching and i've got obviously this experience as a player and, and coaching and she really connects with the athletes sometimes a lot better than i do and the coaches and they have this interest in business and hearing sure. kind of her point of view where then a lot of people in the corporate space you know love hearing the sports metaphors and love hearing about how we use this in a locker room to overcome things yeah. so okay. to be lucky enough to, to first off get to work with my mom and be around right. her every day just like you know marcus and his dad is is really sure. special um, but then it's just it's also i'm fascinated by the you know the interaction and the way that um you know sports and and what you can learn in sports translates to literally anything that you you want to do yeah i love that that's a great point you know um I, I think that a lot of people you know a lot of people in the business world are looking to kind of the sports world because that's kind of what they do and then sports guys are looking towards the business and, and the perfect crossover in that mind and is paul rabel for me and right. in his podcast i don't know if you listen to that yeah no i do i'm a big fan and he's i mean yeah, it's just phenomenal. such a uh not just a leader in lacrosse, but for athletes in general. Right. Um, it's really been amazing. It seems like every week you get on his Twitter and he's winning some award for being a progressive athlete in, yep. in some sort of space. And uh, it's just fun to watch. I love yeah, it. It is. It is. Um, you mentioned Liam Banks. He's the, he's the new head coach of the Atlanta Braves. He right? is. Okay. Yep, he is. So, um, you know, a, a really unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Our previous coach, Coach Huntley, passing away. Um, you know, but Liam is – you know, I there's not a better person for this. And, you know, talk to somebody who's overcome a lot of adversity himself and, and really worked hard to get here. Um, he's, you know, he's probably meant as much or more to the Atlanta lacrosse community as a anybody I can think of. And, he, you know, he's not from Atlanta. He's from Long Island and he mm -hmm. played at Syracuse, but he's been there. It's been his home for 10 years. Um, and he's just worked so hard to, to grow the sport there. So to have somebody um, that, that cares about that community so much and as the head coach yeah. in itself is amazing and important. And then on top of that, you know, we had our first training camp last weekend and, you know, I was blown away. I mean, he, he was, 
extremely prepared, um, you know, coached a style that, that everybody loved playing and, and responded to really well. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to be mentored him by, sure. by him for a while. And, you know, he's, he's a, he's a lacrosse, you know, lacrosse genius. He, his, his approach to teaching stick skills and to, to sticking to fundamentals is amazing. So I'm really, really excited about the opportunity to, to get to play for him. And I'm obviously in my comfort zone having, you know, worked for him and with him for so sure. long. So, um, it's pretty special for both of us. Yeah. It's exciting to see what, uh, what the boys will accomplish this year with that new, uh, new head coach. No doubt. So. No doubt. Uh, what what is lacrosse in Georgia like? What uh, is, is it sanctioned at the high school level? It is. It okay. is. It is sanctioned. Um, it has been for for quite some time. Okay. You know, it was sanctioned. I graduated in two thousand nine, and I played four years of, okay. of varsity high school lacrosse. Okay. Um, it was a, probably two thousand four or five. Okay. Um, but to give you, I guess a. a um, understanding of the growth, I, I, there are about 35 schools that played when I graduated sure. in 09. Um, we're over, well over 100 now. Yeah. Um, so you know, a lot more schools have picked it up. The same two schools played for the state championship for 12 <laughs> straight years. Mine was not one yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, and now, I mean, there's there's a you know a program that is really really good this season but there's any given year there's 20 25 mm -hmm. programs that could potentially compete for the state championship so the talent is spread out everywhere the lacrosse booster club at most of these schools is the second largest in the school okay. um football you know being the largest yeah. um, obviously the popularity around basketball and baseball in georgia is going to be overwhelming to overcome but sure. those teams are a lot smaller so yeah. you've got boys and girls across you've got you know programs with 50 60 plus kids coming out for both of them um, it's really popular you drive anywhere around metro atlanta you're going to see lacrosse bumper stickers you're going to see lacrosse goals in yards um, so it's it's beyond arrived i mean i i really compare it to denver i mean it's yeah. it's one of the main sports now you know in the city and that's that's what i love to hear because you know we're getting sanctioned in 2020 and we have about 40 teams right now yep. and so and we've been kind of stale at that 40 teams for yep. a few years and so i'm I'm hoping that we can get up in the in the higher numbers and have more. Yeah, more players, you know, more teams. It, it it will it will happen. I mean, I think having Utah yeah. uh, is going to be obviously great for it to see it at the highest level and to give the young kids something where they can look at it and say, "Wow, I want to go do that." Sure. Um, yeah. So so I think that'll help, and I think the sport will continue to grow. And there's you know there's so many benefits to it, and I think the biggest thing is anytime somebody plays it once, they want to keep playing it. Right. I mean, I remember my dad would pull kids off my football team, my basketball team. He would take <laughs> us up to the tennis court and stick a stick in their hands. And, you know, we'd get them all for, over. for at least a season or two. Yeah, <laughs> cool. so it's not hard to grow, so I'm sure, sure. it'll happen. What, uh, what's the college team like? Are, are there – there's no D1 teams? There's there's Mercer, which is Mercer. in Macon, okay. Georgia, which is actually a couple hours south of Atlanta. Okay. Um, so okay. that, you know, there is one, one Division one program. But sure. it's, it's, I wouldn't say they, they're, you know, overly connected with the Atlanta lacrosse mm -hmm. community. They certainly recruit a lot out of Atlanta. Right. Um, but, you know, we, we look at what's going on in Utah, and, you know, I, I would sure love to see Georgia Tech, you know, make that jump. They obviously – Ken Lovick um, mm -hmm. runs a really, really good program there, and they're, they're consistently one of the best um, – in the MCLA and and you know it's a it's a fantastic school it's in the ACC and and um, the amount of high school talent that comes out of Atlanta every year um, you know I think that they could compete right away so you know that's not an easy task I definitely understand all that goes into it and I don't sure. think that they're necessarily on the brink or anything like that but that's kind of my dream is is hopefully one day that they're playing there on a uh, on North Ave sure uh, talking about all those kids coming out of high school the ones that do choose to go on and, and play collegiately. You know, is it is it pretty widespread? You've got a handful going to D1, D2, D3. Definitely. I think we kind of saw a progression. Um, you know, I think that there was, you know, a lot of kids going to play at Southern Division Two, Division Three mm -hmm. schools um, early on. Then I think you saw the SOCON, um, yeah. you know, Furman, Jacksonville, Mercer, um, Richmond, some of these schools started picking up a lot of kids from Georgia. Um, the Division Two and the Division Three schools continuing to do sure. so as well. And now it's to the point where it is, I mean, it, it's completely all over the place. You've got kids going to play at the highest level of Division One. You've got Nate Solomon, one of the best players at Syracuse right now as yeah. a junior um, out of Atlanta. I mean, there's a freshman at Rutgers scoring goals. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. It's almost hard to, for me to keep track of. I try to sure. follow the, the kids, but there's so many of them um, playing at a really high level, and then that's all the way down. Um, yeah. A program that I'm really close with is a school called Lenore Ryan. Um, it's a D2 program in North Carolina who picks a lot of kids from Atlanta, some teammates that I played with in high school that went there, um, and now they've grown to it, and they're a top-five program nationally. They've only been a program for about eight years. So oh, wow. I think it just speaks to the, um, the amount of talent um, that's, and, and not just in the South, but that's just everywhere now. And more and more schools are starting to tap into it. And the parity in Division One, Two, II, and Three is sure. just growing at such a rapid pace because of that. 
It's exciting. It is, man. It's so cool. Like the college landscape right now, it's like yeah. there's 30, 40 teams that you could argue should be in the top 15 any given week. Sure. And and that's just very, very different for, for lacrosse from how it used to be. Yeah. Uh, what do people say when, when uh, I, I guess, like when John Rose and Bo Powell and Jeremy were saying, oh, we're going to go to Utah? What, what were people saying in Georgia? You know, I, um, I think the response was, was really good because yeah. uh, here's the, the culture in Georgia is so big school driven. Okay. So when you say Utah and people think, oh, Alex Smith or, sure. you know, they've got big football <laughs> there, it, like, it yeah. makes sense. Okay. They're like, oh, okay. They're, that, they're cool with They that. must be a really good big-time <laughs> lacrosse program too because they play yeah. these other big sports. So I, I think the response to that was, was pretty good. And, and again, I, I mentioned in the beginning, most kids won't do that. Sure. You know, they, they – the people want to stay in their comfort zone yeah. and part of the reason I'm, I'm so proud of those guys is that they were willing to get out of their comfort zone and come somewhere new and try something new so i think the the response to loyola was probably a little more confusing to people sure. in georgia than utah <laughs> they were like what are they what's a loyola <laughs> sure um but that's just you know that's just the differences in in the culture and yeah it's something that i understand now because i've gotten to True. live in the northeast and live in the south and spend time out here so awesome i love it um you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but last last summer you went on a trip. It was, a la- it was last summer. Yeah, yep. with with the with the assistants and went to Spain, Spain, and Portugal. Okay. Um, I guess that was it. Spain and Portugal with, with the with the all the, and then over the winter break you went with Coach Kitts to right. Argentina. Yes, Nicaragua, right? Argentina. We hiked over the Chilean border for about awesome. ten feet, so we <laughs> say we went there too. All right. What, um, what 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 was kind of the background for all of those trips? You know, because you're not just going for for pleasure. Yeah, of course not. Stuff yep, there. yep. So so. You know, my background with traveling with, with internationally with lacrosse, you know, I didn't never had a stamp in my passport till I'm, I'm two years out of school, still hadn't had one. And that comes from playing lacrosse. You mm-hmm. can't study abroad in the summers, all, you know, you're, you're playing, you're training. So, um, you know, I, the first trip I actually got to take was to Japan. And it was through, um, you know, a Japanese lacrosse club basically reached out to String King and brought a few of us out there. And um, I went and coached a bunch of Japanese players and saw the country and, you know, fell in love with that experience. Yeah. And at the time I was doing that, you know, Marcus and Adam had just taken a trip. Um, I think they went to Croatia and, and the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and they did the same thing. They coached yeah. across in all these locations. So we kind of connected after those two experiences. And right after that experience, they, Marcus and Adam, had something set up to go down to Nicaragua and work with um, a nonprofit called Lacrosse the Nations that mm-hmm. does service work yeah. where – um, you know, it's, it's, it's really not about lacrosse, but it's about impacting the kids and you know, using lacrosse to do that. And I kind of had gotten the bug after this Japan trip. So I jumped on that trip. Marcus ended up not being able to make it. So Adam and I went. Um, so then it was kind of like, you know, zero st- passport stamps for 24 <laughs> years. And now I had two in a month sure. and, um, we fell in love with it and we were like, okay, how, you know, what's next. And at that point, Marcus and Adam primarily, and then, you know, Will and I helping a little bit and another guy, Drew Snyder, who mm-hmm. has been out here and, and uh, plays professionally for the Outlaws, um, you know, decided we'd take a trip to Europe and let's set up lacrosse. So, you know, all we do is just, here's where we want to go. Okay, we want to go to Lisbon and then we want to go to Barcelona. So sure. get on Google, Lisbon Lacrosse Club, <laughs> you find one, you send them an email, you know, yeah. same thing with Barcelona. And we get there and we were in Lisbon first and there's about 20 five players and they're the only 25 players in the country of portugal and the way that they found the sport is from the movie uh, american pie they okay. tell us they saw them playing in the movie and uh, decided to try it looked yeah. up the rules started their own little club wow. so we coach them they take us out they show us their city um you make relationships it's so cool um you know on top of coaching them you can give them some advice on how to start youth across on you know how can we help get equipment to you you know you learn what their challenges are um, the next clinic was a different experience. We go to Barcelona. Now they have a, a more established national team and, and greater numbers. So they advertised this clinic and charged, okay. you know, a pretty reasonable price to pay for some sure. field space. And we ended up having players from seven countries come to the clinic, um, wow. Germany, Belgium, some of the Portugal came, obviously Spain. Um, there were about 60 people there and these aren't really kids. They're, yeah. You know, there were some as young as 14, 15. There's some as old as 30, 35 that are still trying to play for the national team or just enjoy doing it. And so we ran two, like, kind of full-day clinics there in Barcelona with them, um, made a ton of relationships with, you know, again, people from all different countries, um, and, again, learned more about their challenges, and and it's kind of the same tone, coaching, equipment, you know, are two of the the biggest ones. So, um, you know, we had that experience. You know, Adam and I, again – you know, kind of 
for lack of a better term, started getting addicted to this. And it's, it's not just the traveling, but the traveling and the coaching sure. and the meeting the locals and getting to kind of experience it that way. Um, we had been to Nicaragua the year prior. We just said, okay, let's take the, the Christmas holidays um, and let's go back to South America. And we kind of, while we were in Spain, started planning this and decided Argentina was a good place. You know, same thing, get on Google, um, Google Argentina lacrosse, you know, reach out to people we know who, yeah. who are kind of involved. We ended up finding some connections. We set up some clinics. We went back to Nicaragua, you know, did the service work again and worked with those kids and then continued on from there um, down to Argentina. And we ran um, several clinics in Argentina. We got to uh, stay with, um, you know, the, the president of Argentina lacrosse is a few years older than us. Um, we stayed with his family. We spent Christmas and New Year's, you know, with the families there. And yeah. um, just a much different experience, again, than just – you know, going somewhere and doing touristy stuff. You know, sure. we're really um, kind of getting engulfed in it. We ended up going to a city called Trileu, which was like this desert desert city in Patagonia that I don't think a tourist from the United States has ever <laughs> been to. Wow. Um, and that's where a lot of lacrosse players lived. And again, stayed with their families there and got to coach them and to see that their their love for the game and um, you know the the lacrosse community in every place we've been from Japan to Spain to Portugal to Argentina to Nicaragua. The, there's those kind of pillars of the lacrosse community in terms of sure. family and looking out for each other um, and just kind of the general personality traits that they all share. So it's really cool. I feel like I've got close friends in all of these countries now that yeah. if I go back, I can call them. I got a place to stay. And, and so we're, uh, we're going to continue to do that and try to play our part in, um, you know, helping the sport to grow internationally and, um, you know, helping to support these programs, you know, through again, equipment and our time and sure. connecting them with coaches and things like that. I mean, where are they getting their equipment? Are they just paying shipping rates to I get mean, them down there? Basically, yes. You know, they have to pay shipping rates. They, they, most of their equipment comes from people like us, you know, uh -huh. people who go there and bring them bags of stuff. You know, a lot of these countries, you know, there, there's maybe a kid who played in America who is sure. from there and he goes back and visits and he brings them stuff. I mean, that's really it. So they don't have a lot of the proper equipment. Every country has its own challenges in terms of the shipping. You know, mm -hmm. like in Argentina, they said half the time you never get it. Yeah. It just sits in customs forever. Half the time you have to go there and pay customs a million dollars to get it. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, it's different in every place. But something that Adam and I in particular are really focused on is learning and understanding those issues and, and figuring out a more formal way that we can yeah. start supporting these programs. And, you know, it's about growing the sport. Um, a hundred percent, but it's also just about, we sit here and talk about all the cool things like me yeah. being here that lacrosse has brought to us. So, right. you know, if you can give help, you know, people in other countries get the same experience and, and, um, you know, get to travel to a world games or get to come to America and, and watch a division one game. It's, it's obviously stuff that can be life changing. So sure. that's really cool for us as well. So I asked uh, Coach Gittleman on his podcast where you guys were going next, and he told me to ask you. <laughs> okay, so that's yep. my question. <laughs> yeah, we, we we've got it locked in. We're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to Stockholm, Sweden. Okay, um, this will be again the, the just like we did last year, the first week after the MLL championship. So mm -hmm. last year Marcus was coming off the the championship. <laughs> so hopefully this year it's Gitz and I that are celebrating. Yep. But uh, um, we're gonna go to Stockholm, Sweden, coach there uh, for a couple of days. Then we're gonna go to Switzerland. Um, we're going to coach in Zurich a little bit and, and go to Interlaken and have some fun. And then um, we're going to go to Greece from there. And uh, okay. we don't have the, the coaching set up in Greece just yet, but we'll we'll probably figure that out. So um, that's what's planned. And then the boys got to come back here and start running fall ball. But uh, <laughs> I may just stay over there and keep the, uh, keep the European lacrosse tour going. We'll there see. There you go. Okay. A um, couple, couple more questions. Um, talk about how you see lacrosse in the West uh, kind of developing, like, you know, what do you, what are you picture in 10 to 15 years out here? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the, the number one place is developing at the grassroots, at the youth, at the high school level. Um, you know, I think the, what's going on here at Utah is really, really special. Um, but when you look at it in reality, there's been two, you know, major division one football program type schools that have yeah. added lacrosse in the last 15, 20 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, um, predict that a bunch of schools are going to start jumping sure. and the Pac-12 yeah. is going to be, you know, but I think that just what you're talking about, I think that if in five years we're sitting in this room and there's 70, 80, mm -hmm. you know, high school programs playing sanctioned lacrosse in Utah, um, you know, that's what, in my opinion, and, and I, you know, certainly don't claim to be an expert, but, you know, to me, I think that's where it, it has to happen first. Um, you get the youth players playing, you get the high school players playing, you know, that translates to gear sales, which sure. translates to money, which, sure. you know, makes everything else seem to happen. So, yeah. 
Um, I think that's where the focus has to be, and, and I think obviously having Division One programs, I think having pro lacrosse in areas can really sprout that because when you're a little kid and you get to watch the Atlanta Hawks and you get to watch the Atlanta Braves, well, you know, give them a, a professional lacrosse team to look up to like that mm-hmm. as well and give them a dream to chase, and I think you'll get more kids falling in love with the sport that way, and, um, you know, I think that's how you, you drive it forward, and I think the the West is, is well on its way with that. All right. Uh, I, you know, I agree. You know, Coach Gittleman said patience was the key, and, and I think he's spot on. Yeah. I love that. Yep. So Yoda, Yoda Gittleman. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so we have uh, the pillars of Utah lacrosse, which are honesty, humility, passion, gratitude, and trust. Um, I've asked all the other people who have come on the podcast what their favorite one is. You know, I, I didn't give you a heads up on that, but uh, any of those words stand out to you, maybe one more than another? Yeah, for, uh, you know, obviously I do my best to, to follow those same pillars, but the one that jumps out when you say it to me is humility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, you know, you're so competitive your whole life that um, I think especially for a lot of high-achieving athletes, ego is probably sure. one of your biggest battles. Um, and like I heard a quote recently that I really liked that said, um, success leads to our greatest failure, which is ego. Failure leads to your greatest success, which is humility. Um, and so that's something that I have been really trying to push for in my life recently. And, and so you hear that. And um, again, you just can get reminded over and over again in sports sure. with how, how often you fail and, and having great humility and being great when things don't go your way, I think is a really good place to start towards trying to grow and, and get better. I love it. Uh, ready for the rapid fire questions? Let's do it. Okay. What, uh, what stick do you use? String King, baby. I'm, I'm all black. <laughs> I use the Mark II T, um, the Type 4 mesh as soon as it comes out in black, which uh, my guy's got to get on <laughs> over there. Um, and then I use the, uh, I use the, three, the Metal II 350, and I, I cut it down about six inches. Um, okay. Give myself a little extra stick protection. Yeah, I like it. Yep. Uh, what podcasts or books are you, are you into? Um, so I, I really try to read a lot. I do a lot of the books on, on audio, um, on audible. Uh, I listen, you know, consistently, I listen to you, listen to Utah lacrosse. Uh, you mentioned, (laughs) I listened to suiting up with, Mm -hmm. with Paul Rabel, um, is one of my favorites. I listen to Tim Ferriss, Mm -hmm. um, from time to time on certain interviews. Um, and then the other thing I like part of my take, I like the Barstool sports guys for, for some entertainment with sports. So those are the podcasts. Um, you know, the books, um, I, I'm really into the personal development books. I mean, obviously that's the space that, that I'm trying to get in. I got to give a shout out, uh, our partner with, uh, Empower House Leadership is a a woman named Dr. Jill Kahn. Um, she wrote a book called the gift of taking and a lot of what I'm trying to teach with these programs is kind of rooted in in her book and that work. So, um, that, that's the book I'd, I'd like to give some love to and, and hopefully get people on. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, other than that, I basically have put a goal out of a book a week and, you know, again, a lot of that I'm able to do on audible. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. working on my reading ability, but I, I don't read that fast. And, um, if you know anything about Atlanta, I spend a lot of time in traffic, so <laughs> okay. it's easier for me to just kind of listen sure. while I'm in the car. Sure. And, um, I, you know, I get the requests from these guys. I read the captain class, which is mm-hmm. one Marcus, you know, put me on to Adam yeah. sends me the, the Zen master books and the Alan Watts and, um, the Wayne Dyer type stuff. I read all that. Um, coach Manny is really into the coaching books and, you know, he sent me one legacy, yep. which was a really good one recently. So, um, you know, just trying to take in information as much as I can. I loved legacy. I read it over the break. And it was yeah. Phenomenal. Oh, so many good ones in there. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah but it's one of the best. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Atlanta Braves were you a Chipper Jones fan. Huge, huge Chipper Jones yeah. fan. Yeah. The Braves <laughs> were, you know, the Braves were the winners in Atlanta, yeah. especially I moved there in 95, the year yeah. they won the world series. I was super young, but I can remember honk, you know, horns honking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I grew up at Georgia Tech. My mom went to Georgia Tech, so okay. Georgia Tech sports were the college team for me, and uh, the Braves were, you know, the Braves were the pro team. I, I mentioned I'm a basketball guy, um, so I love the Hawks, but yeah. it, Braves are the only team that's given us a championship <laughs> in Atlanta. Besides, until the Georgia Swarm, until the Georgia Swarm, yeah. so they were the second. But what's what's that like having the Georgia Swarm there? Do you, do you go to their games? Do you interact with those guys? You know, I, I definitely interact with the guys, yeah. and and I, I'm clo- you know I know the front office guys well. Mm-hmm. Um, just being in in the you know Atlanta yeah. lacrosse community, they r- reached out when they moved in, and and. Um, you know, I've come really close to, you know, going to training camp and trying to play for them. And it's, it is awesome to have that team there. I mean, they're as exciting as it gets, you know, to have the Thompsons, to have a Randy stats, you know, to have that presence, um, I think it's really important for kids in Atlanta to see yeah. where lacrosse comes from and to get a little taste of that culture. Sure. Um, I, you know, if I was going to have one criticism, there are, the locations is tough, you know, if, okay. I, if I'm going to be honest. And the, the crowds probably aren't as big as I'm sure they would like to see and, and, they, and as those guys deserve. Sure. Um, so I think that's a challenge is, is, you know, where can we get them, you know, where 
maybe more of the lacrosse fans or, or frankly just closer to, to town where yeah. you know more more of the younger people in the city live and would want to go out and experience that but um it's a work in progress and again in atlanta the the youth lacrosse numbers are there so you know i have no doubt that that the professional franchises are going to be able to figure it out and and um you know start selling out seats here pretty soon sure uh anything else you want to talk about anything else you want to mention no, man, I think that's it. Okay. I enjoyed talking with you. That was fun. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Where can people uh, find you on social media? Yeah, you can get on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's probably where I'm most active with uh, with Scott Ratliff, uh, too. And then I'm on Twitter as well, at srat2. Um, so get at me on there. We're always trying to get my numbers up. I think Marcus and Will are, are both still a little ahead of me. Yeah, so. I don't know if anyone's catching Marcus and those and Will, those oh guys. Con- <laughs> constant competition. I'll get them. I'll get them. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we could do something to, to get you there. There somehow. you go. We'll, we'll figure it out. I'll hack them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on, though. I appreciate it. Um, for, the, for the fans out there, feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Utah Lacrosse, on Facebook as well. And uh, if you have any questions or comments for this episode, feel free to uh, send them through social media to either Scott or I, and, and we'll do our best to answer those. And thanks for listening. Cool. Thanks. Go Utes. Thank you.